Happy Father's Day to those of you who are dads and granddads. We hope you feel honored today. For those of you who might struggle on Father's Day because you've lost your dad, maybe you've lost a child or you're estranged for a father, we hope today you feel comforted. We just want to acknowledge this day is not easy for everyone. Can we actually start by just saying a prayer real quick? God, thank you for the ability on Father's Day to celebrate a heavenly father in Jesus, Lord, who's perfect, who's powerful. Lord, who's patient, who's forgiving, I pray for every father and grandfather in the room that we might become more like Jesus. And Lord, I pray for all those today, uh, men and women, children, uh, grandchildren, Lord, whose hearts are heavy on Father's Day because of someone who is very, very close to us who's not anymore. I just pray you'll bring comfort to those who need to bring comfort. Lord, bring inspiration to those who need to be inspired. Bring challenge to those who need to be challenged as we study your word today. Uh, Lord, we love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name and everyone said together, amen. If you have your Bible, open to Judges chapter 3. We're going to jump right in today to Judges chapter 3. Pull your notes out of your bulletin so you can follow along or fire up your Journey Church International app. And I'm going to begin with this question. What do all these individuals have in common? What do all these individuals have in common? Barack Obama, Bill Gates, Babe Ruth, I may have just given it away for some of you, Napoleon Bonaparte, Leonardo da Vinci, Oprah Winfrey, Aristotle, Jimi Hendrix, Ned Flanders, and Pastor Ryan. What do all those people, like who's Ned Flanders? Don't worry about it if you don't know. What do all those people have in common? Anybody? They're all left-handed. They're all left-handed. And I want to introduce you to another lefty today in the Bible named Ehud, in Judges chapter 3. We're in a series this summer called Judges, um, called, called Judges, and we're studying the heroes of Judges, the rescuers of the nation of Israel, because we are looking in our lives for a rescuer named Jesus. Last week we met Othniel, the first rescuer judge of Israel. This week we meet Ehud. Here is his story in Judges chapter 3, verse 12. Get a pen ready if you have it with you in your Bible. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. If you have a pen, you might jot up in the margin of your notes the spin cycle of sin. We talked about that the first week of these series. God would rescue the Israelites and then they'd go right back to sin. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, circle the word Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites, circle the word Ammonites, and Amalekites, circle the word Amalekites, those are three countries, to join him. Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. You might underline or circle that the city of Palms is Jericho. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, the king of Moab, for 18 years. If you watch basketball, last week the Golden State Warriors won the NBA title for the third time in four years, and Kevin Durant was named the finals MVP. Three years ago, Kevin Durant played for a team called the Oklahoma City Thunder. They took the Golden State Warriors to the seventh game of their series, and then Durant kind of was a no-show. His buddy Russell Westbrook tried to take over, shot a million shots, missed most of them. Um, So Durant did what maybe you've heard the old popular phrase, if you can't beat them, join him. He joined him, and he went and he joined their team, and they've become this super team now who hardly ever loses. They won the NBA finals in a sweep over LeBron James and his Cavs, um, and he won the MVP for the second year in a row. If you can't beat him, join him. Israel is kind of like this, but opposite. Israel didn't say, if you can't beat him, join him. Israel was known for this in Judges. If you join them, they'll beat you. That's what Israel had going on in their life. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Again, why? Because they kept joining nations around them that did not worship the Lord. And if you join the sinful, they will beat you spiritually. So let me ask you, what does your team look like? 
Because if you join the sinful, they will beat you spiritually. What does your team look like? Adults, teenagers, what does your team look like? The Monday through Saturday night at midnight team, what do they look like? Because if you join the sinful, they will beat you spiritually. We learn they were mixed in the Ammonite and the Moabite and the Amalekite nations. You say, who are the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Amalekites? They all come from some of the most dysfunctional spiritual stories in the entire Old Testament. Esau had a grandson named Amalek who birthed this entire nation. You say, who was Esau? He was Abraham's grandson who, instead of clinging to the spiritual promises of his grandpa, sold it for a bowl of soup because he was hungry. The Amalekites were people who did not respect the presence of God, the power of God in their life. And when they had other things going on, they took those instead of what God would want to give them. You say, who were Moab and Ammon? Their story is the most dysfunctional story in all of the Bible. We read in Genesis chapter 18 and 19 that there were two cities in the plains of the Jordan named Sodom and Gomorrah. They were cities that were known for their sexual assault. They were cities that were known for their murder. They were cities that were known for their just flat-out irreverence to any god who was in the region. They were the most selfish nation that ever existed. And God said, I'm going to destroy them because of their sin. Abraham had a relative who lived there. His name was Lot. He asked God, if there's a few righteous people, will you save this whole city? God said, yeah. And Abraham said, how about ten? God said, yeah, there weren't ten. There were four, really three and a half. The angels went down, they pulled Lot and his wife, we talked about this in our student ministry Wednesday, out of Sodom and Gomorrah and his two daughters and said, run to the hill, the towns are going to be destroyed. Uh, Lot and his two daughters ran to the hills, so the mom went back. The mom was more interested in life in Sodom than life and a future with God, and we find out that her life was lost. Lot and his daughters get into the mountains, and his daughters get together one night and say, our life is over. We'll never have husbands now to take care of us. We'll never have kids to take care of us. So here is the idea of the oldest daughter. Let's get dad drunk. Let's have sex with dad. Then we'll have sons. That way when dad is dead, our sons will take care of us. You say, what kind of crazy people think of those stories? Only people in the Bible. So they get dad drunk. The older sister has sex with her dad. She has a baby. She names the dad Moab. In the Semitic language, Ab or Ab or Abba always means father. Basically, Moab means my dad. She named her son my dad because her dad was his dad. What kind of sick freaks are we reading about here in the Bible? That was the birth of the nation of Moab. That's one of the nations. You say, who is Ammon? She told her little sister after she'd done it. Now it's your turn. She had a son. She named him Ammon. These are the nations that Israel's now living among. He's a Christian, that is just crazy. When is God going to put an end to things like that? Here's the good news. The good news is God will ultimately judge and destroy sin and wickedness. We learned that from Sodom and Gomorrah. The good news is that God will ultimately judge and destroy sin and wickedness. We watch it happening all over our world and think, when is this going to end? The good news is that it does end, but here's the bad news. Each of us have lived in sin and wickedness at one point in our lives, so that means us too. The good news is that God's going to put an end to all that craziness. The bad news is that means us too, except for the great news that our judge, Jesus, rescues us from that judgment, and he rescues us from the destruction of sin and wickedness. But Israel chose the wrong team. They chose to live among these nations instead of being set apart as a nation who worshiped God. We need a judge named Jesus. Israel needed a judge today. We're going to meet him. His name was Ehud. Let's keep reading in verse 15. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera, the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute, that means tax money, 
to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword, about a cubit long, that's 18 inches, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. If God calls you fat, you were probably a very fat man. That's what we read here in the text anyway. Scripture given to us by God wants us to know this guy's fat. Verse 18, after Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent it on their way to those who carried it. But on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he, he himself went back to Eglon and he said, Your Majesty, I have a secret message for you. The king said to his attendants, Leave us, and they all left. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace and said, I have a message from God for you. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade, and his bowels discharged. Ehud did not pull the sword out, and the fat closed over it. Perhaps he pulled a Cheeto out when he pulled his hand back out from underneath that. After he had gone, it's a great story. After he'd gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. They said he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the palace. They waited to the point of embarrassment, but when they did not, when he did not open the doors of the room, they took a key, they unlocked them, and there they saw their Lord fallen to the floor dead. One of the greatest movies that I saw in my teenage years was a movie called Sixth Sense. If you've not seen the movie, forgive me for the spoiler. It's a movie where Bruce Willis plays a, psych- plays a psychiatrist who's helping this boy who sees dead people. He sees dead people. And you get to the very end of the movie, and the spoiler alert is this. You get to the very end of the movie, and Bruce Willis finds out he is dead too. Like he's been dead the entire time, and the kid's talking to him because he is also dead. Bruce Willis never saw it coming. Eglon, king of Moab, never saw Ehud coming. He got so close to him, he thought he was paying off a bribe, and the next thing he knows, he has a sword coming into his stomach. He was given an Ehud enema right in the cool chamber of his upper room. We'll read about that a little more in a minute. But we can learn as we look at the story of Ehud, three lessons from this left-handed man, Ehud. I want to teach you these lessons today because if you desire to have spiritual influence in the lives of others, then we can learn from Ehud. If you're a dad, who says, I want to have spiritual influence on my kids. Ehud has something to teach you. If you're a mom who says, I want to have spiritual influence on my family. Ehud has something to teach you. If you're a coach who says, I want to have spiritual influence on my team. Ehud has something to teach you. If you're a business owner who says, I want to have spiritual influence on the people that I serve. Ehud has something to teach you. We can all learn from Ehud if we desire to have spiritual influence in any area of our life. We learn three things. One, we use that God will often, we see that God will often use our perceived disadvantages for his divine advantage. We see that God will often use our perceived disadvantages, the things we think make us unusable. God says, those are the very things I'd like to use to my divine advantage. Look at verse 15. We learn something very interesting about Ehud. It says, again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera, the Benjamite. It does not say in the Hebrew language that Ehud was left-handed. It says in the Hebrew language that Ehud could not use his right hand. In the Hebrew language, the text seems to say that his right hand was bound up by something or that he had some kind of impediment in his right hand. When it says that Ehud was left-handed, we're literally introduced to someone who cannot use his right hand. We're introduced to someone who probably has a physical handicap, which is why the king of, Eg- the king of Moab would let him get close because he thought, there's no way this guy could hurt me. He's one-handed. 
We meet Ehud, a left-handed man, someone who can't even use his right hand. But his advantage was Eglon's greatest threat, and God used it for his divine advantage. There's no way Ehud gets in the room if he's not a left-handed man. There's no way Ehud carries a sword within spitting distance of the king if he's not a left-handed man. It got him in the room and got him an audience with the person that he needed to give a message to. Zerb, come up here real quick. Let me show you how Ehud got in the room um, in, in the ancient times of security systems. When you go to the airport today, you might walk through a metal detector, or you may walk through something where you put your hands up and it scans you. If you were walking into a palace 3,000 years ago, the security system, Zerb, turn a face of people if you would. Thanks for hanging out with me. Um, the security people, because everyone was right-handed, they would always carry their sword on their opposite hip because usually swords were too long like you get it stuck if it was on your, your hand hip. So they would carry their sword on the opposite hand. So when someone came to see a king, the security guys would do this. That's it. They pat the left hip. Because if you were armed, you were carrying something on your left hip. The only way Ehud got in the room with a sword on his hip is that he was carrying the hip that was not checked. He had a sword on his right hip that went undetected. Ehud was probably one of the only guys in Israel who could have carried out this mission for God. Zerb, thanks. Give Zerb a hand for being our Ehud today. Ehud's disadvantage got him in the room, and Ehud's disadvantage allowed him to get close enough to give a message. Now, some of you are thinking, God can't use me because of my disadvantage. Yet your disadvantage is the only thing that gets you in the room, and your disadvantage is the only thing that allows your message to be heard. You say, God can't use me because I'm divorced. But it's your divorce that's going to get you in the room with people who are struggling in marriage or who are recently divorced. And your message for them is going to be heard because God's going to use your disadvantage to speak into what's going on in their life. You say, Christian, God can't use me because I suffered through abuse when I was a child at the hands of a friend or a family member. Actually, your abuse is the only thing that's going to get you into the room and give you an audience with other people who are abused so your message can be heard. You say, Christian, God can't use me. I've lost jobs after job and I've struggled financially my whole life that is actually the thing that's going to get you into certain rooms with people who are just like you and need to know they can keep going on in faith and your message is going to be heard see sometimes our disadvantage is the only thing that gives us an audience with other people who are disadvantaged And our message rings clearer and louder to them because of what God has done in our life. You say, well, it's too late for me. I'm 40, I'm 50, I'm 60. Even if I would turn every disadvantage in my life and try to use it to help others, it's too late for me. It's never too late for you. Noah built an ark when he was over 500 years old. Think about that. He didn't cut down the first tree till he was over 500 years old. It's not too late for you. Abraham and Sarah were over 90 when they birthed Isaac. It means they were 90 and they were still, never mind. Uh, Moses was over 80 when God used him to lead Israel to the promised land. He was well past the age of retirement and God used him. And Joshua's best leadership took place in the final years of his life. When he should have been resting, he was leading spiritually. It's never too late to give your disadvantages to God and say, God, I will walk through whatever doors my disadvantages will give me and I will give whatever message you want me to give because there are some doors only I can walk through and there are some messages that only I can give. God used Ehud's disadvantage for his divine advantage. Number two, we learn from Ehud, my favorite point of this message, an ounce of faith can produce an ocean of results. 
An ounce of faith can produce an ocean of results. Most of you missed it, so let me highlight it for you. It's the most important thing that happened in this story. It may be the most important thing that happens in your faith walk today. Verse 19 says this. On reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon and said, Your majesty... I have a secret message for you. Ehud's mission was to go assassinate the king while he paid the people's tax money, but he chickened out. And he left. And he went home. And he was on his way home after a failed mission until he passed the stone images at Gilgal. And then something happened that said, go back. Well, to know that, you have to know what a stone image is. I've shown you pictures of stone images from ancient Israel. Show that picture if if you would. This is a stone image, a standing stone statue that they believe is in the temple of Melchizedek, one of the oldest standing stones in the entire land of Israel. In the ancient Israel, when God would appear to someone, they would take a stone, they would set it up, they would anoint the stone, and it meant God appeared here. X marks the spot that God moved here. You say, do we read anywhere in Scripture where there was a pile of standing stones near Gilgal that meant anything to the people, yes. When Joshua and the Israelites crossed over the Jordan, they camped at Gilgal. Joshua said, take 12 stones out of the Jordan River and put them here at Gilgal. So for the rest of time, when people see these stones, they'll remember God can because God did. It reads this way in Joshua chapter 4. On the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they'd taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you'd crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he'd done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. So he had a sin on a mission that he chickens out in until he sees the stones. And then he has a flashback. At some point, he's gone fishing down at the Jordan River with his dad. And his dad has said, hey, you know what those stones mean? And he told him the story. Maybe at some point, he took a walk with his grandpa. And they went down to the Jordan River for a swim. And his grandpa said, hey, do you know what these stones mean? Or maybe sometime he was hanging out with his friend or his team had a team trip somewhere. And one of the coaches said, hey, do you guys know what these stones mean? At some point, someone said, those stones mean God can because God did. Those stones mean God is more powerful than any situation. Those stones mean that God is supernatural and God can continue to be supernatural. Something, as he had walked out and saw those stones triggered, that said, wait a minute. God did not bring us into this promised land to be slaves. God brought us into this promised land to be servants of the world of who he is. I'm going to go back and complete my mission because if God did it in my past, he can do it in my future. Ehud remembered that God in your past is the greatest sign of God in your future. And here's what's the sad thing about the story of Ehud, that he even had to hesitate the first time. Here's what the sad thing is, the story of us. Some of us in this room have had God appear to us in our life. And I'm not talking about like a church. Some of us have had God show up in our lives in supernatural ways that are undeniable. 
You can point to a place in your past. Maybe you didn't set up a pile of stones, but you could walk to a place. For me, I could, I could take you to the, the chair I was sitting in at Liberty University when God called me to ministry. I could take you to the basement I was sitting in when God called me to start this church in Seoul, South Korea. I could take you to the back row of the conference center I was sitting in at Crawfordsville, Indiana's Fellowship of Christian Athletes Camp when God said, you've got to reach your friends. Like, I can take you to physical places where God spoke to me. Some of you have places like that in your life. God has appeared to you in your past, yet today you deny him? Today you, today you doubt him? Today you wonder if he still can? And I'd, I'd be curious what conversation you would have if you took a walk in your past with God and you got to the place where God undeniably appeared to you in your life. And God said to me, why have you quit following? Why have you quit serving? Why have you quit giving? Why have you quit believing? Why have you lost your hope? I wonder how we, if we confronted the God of our past, how we would answer for our actions in the present and our outlook towards our future. Because God had appeared to Israel, but they had forgotten. God actually rebuked Solomon in 1 Kings eleven nine for drifting from him for this reason. He said, Solomon, I showed myself to you. In 1 Kings 11, 9, it said, The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. It's like, Solomon, you know me. We, we had a moment. How could you drift so far after I showed myself to you? Listen, you need to understand this today. If God has appeared to you at any point in your past, number one, it makes you more accountable. Because God's saying, I did something very special for you. I stepped into a natural situation in a, in a supernatural way, and I showed you that I was real and that you could trust me for all of time. God says, if I've ever supernaturally appeared in any point in your past, you're more accountable, and number two, you're, you're more able. See, you're more accountable because you had an experience with me, but you're more able because you had an experience with me. Israel was more accountable because they'd seen God move, but Israel was more able because they knew he could continue to move. God in your past is guarantee of God in your future. So Ehud sees those stones. He remembers the story of his past. He remembers God moving. He says, I'm going to go back, and we enter like this theater of the absurd in Judges chapter 3. Ehud goes back and he tells the people, I've got a secret message for the king. They, they probably do the check. They pat his hip. He goes in. It says the king is in the cool chamber on the roof of his house. He said, what was on the cool cham- in the cool chambers on the roofs of the house in the Israeli area 3,000 years ago? It would be where the kings would go to rest, get shade, or use the bathroom. That's what was on top of the palaces when you study ancient Israel. He locks the doors behind him and he says, King, I have a secret message from God for you. You would say that getting ready to give the king a bribe. That's why you would go back. You'd give the government theirs and then in secret you'd go give the king his on the side. So he goes back. The king thinks he's going to receive a bribe. He says, I have a secret message from you for God. The king says, all right, let's have it. And Ehud reaches with his left hand, the only one that works, to his right hip. He plunges the sword in so it pierces the intestines of the king. One translation said his excrement fell out. So now you can picture the smell, which is why the attendants who were outside the room, wondering what they were doing locked inside the room together, said, he must be using the bathroom. Why? Because it smelled like he was using the bathroom. And it said they waited until they were embarrassed. You say, how much time is that? I'm not sure. How much time do you wait before you're like, are you all right in there? Like Like you can smell what's going on? You know, somebody's, you know, take, taking the big one. They've had a long night out. They ate Mexican the night before. It's like, you knock. I'm not going to knock. You knock. It's like, no, I'm not going to. I don't want to embarrass him. So, so they, wait, they waited until they were embarrassed. It's like, 
Someone's got to knock. And they open the door, and there is, there is the king laying in what smells like a porty, porta potty, and Ehud is gone. What had caused all that to happen? One memory of God in the past. One memory of God in the past said, God's still in my future. Let's go. God uses our perceived disadvantages, but it only takes an ounce of faith, remembering where God was in our past, to realize that he'll still be there in the future too. And then the story's just getting started. We see number three, that if we will produce an ounce of faith, God will use our faith to signal others to follow. It's the rest of the story that's really the best part of the story. God will use our faith to signal others to follow. Look at verse 26. While they waited, Ehud and the guy are upstairs in the cool chamber where there is a bathroom. While they waited, Ehud got away. He passed the stone images. He escaped to Syrah. When he arrived there, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went down with him from the hills with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered. For the Lord has given Moab your enemy into your hands. So they followed him down and took possession of the fords of the Jordan. That's the shallow places where they could cross. They led to Moab. They allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong. Not one escaped. That day, Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. One person who was physically handicapped, but who had faith in his God, called the nation to rally. And it said they not only assassinated the fat king, they took out the Navy SEALs before the end of the day. How? The faith of one signaled the faith of others to follow. Three things happened that we see. Judges 3.27, we see that Ehud blew a trumpet. You would blow a trumpet to signal people something big is going on. He blew a trumpet. Here's what we need to understand about people like Ehud. Strong spiritual influencers will engage the attention of the spiritually distracted and the spiritually discouraged. Yet a country, yet a generation of people who for all 18 years of their life had never known anything but slavery. But when one person said, we don't have to live this way anymore, the entire nation followed. Strong spiritual influence will engage the attention of the spiritually distracted and the spiritually discouraged. Let me tell you, if you are in the room and you are a dad, let me tell you how influential you are. Please don't ever underestimate your influence in the life of your family spiritually. You know, a study was done recently that gives us these statistics that are certainly things to be aware of in a church like ours. We learned that if a child is the first person to come to faith in a family, that's going to happen at our church this week at Vacation Bible School. We will have children who meet Jesus. No one else in their family will know Jesus. That happened at youth camp two weeks ago. We had kids meet Jesus. No one in their family knew Jesus. If a child is the first person in a family to come to faith, there is a 3.5% chance, 3.5% chance that the rest of the family will come to faith. If the mother is the first person in the family to come to faith, if a mom becomes a Christian and no one else in the family is a Christian, there's a 17% chance that the rest of the family will begin to walk in faith like the mother. But if the dad is the first person in the family to become a Christian, listen, dads, if the dad is the first person in the family to become a Christian, there's a 93% chance that the rest of the family will follow his lead in faith. Dads, I cannot overestimate your importance spiritually to blow the trumpet, to to call people back who are discouraged, to call people back who are distracted, and to say, I know maybe for the last 18 years this is all you've known, but here's how we're going to do this, and this life leads to freedom. 
Dad, I cannot underestimate, overestimate your spiritual influence enough. Blow the trumpet. Gather the troops. What did he do then? Second, Judges 3.28 says, he said, follow me. He blew the trumpet. He sounded the alarm. We can live a different way. But then he said this, just follow me. Just do what I'm doing. It reminds you of the call of Jesus. Follow me. Strong spiritual influencers will set the example for others. Strong spiritual influencers will set the example for others to follow. So two weeks ago at youth camp, I challenged our senior high students to mentor, to disciple, to take one of our middle school students and to pour into them spiritually. Unless, here's what I said, I want every senior high student to mentor middle school student, unless they can't listen on their phone to the music you listen to on your phone. If they can't do that, don't mentor them. Unless they can't follow the people on social media you follow because that will not help them spiritually. Don't mentor them. Unless they do inappropriate things with their boyfriends and girlfriends like you might be doing. Like if you are willing to follow Jesus, tell someone to follow you. But if you're not, you don't want to produce who Jesus isn't. So parents, I'll say the same thing to you. All of you should be saying to your kids, follow me. Unless you never read your Bible. Unless you never pray on your knees. Unless you never give. Unless you never serve. Unless you never go. Unless you never invite. Unless you never forgive. Unless you always hold grudges. You should be saying to your kids, follow me. Unless, of course, your life doesn't look like Jesus. Ehud was willing to become who God wanted him to become. And he didn't have a whole lot of time to teach Ehud 101. This is what I'm doing. He just said, follow me. I'm following what God wants us to do. Just follow me. We'll learn together along the way. He blew a trumpet. He said, follow me. And then thirdly, he said this. Here was his motivation. Judges 3.28, he said, For the Lord has given Moab your enemy into your hands. Follow me. Why? God is moving. Strong spiritual influencers will encourage others by reminding them that God gives victory. Follow me. Why? Because I trust God. And I'm not sure how it's going to turn out, but God's going to move. Follow me. Why? Because, because God is said to do this. And I'm not sure will it, where it will end, but I trust God. Follow me because I just believe when we follow God, spiritual victory happens. So follow me, I'll follow God, and we will trust God together. What was the impact of one act of courageous leadership by a physically handicapped man who signaled the people who said, follow me, and then reminded them we can trust God? Here's what happened, Judges 3.30. It says, that day Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. That day, Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. Did any of you ever have a locker in high school with a combination on it? Or maybe a locker on your locker room that had a combination, go right, and then go left, and then go right. We learn in the story of Ehud a spiritual combination that unlocks spiritual influence. And here it is, 1881. 18 to the right, 80 to the left, 1. So I've never seen a lock with 80. It's just an illustration. Of course, locks don't all go all the way up to 80. I just, I'm trying to put three numbers in your head that you'll remember. 18, 80, 1. 18 years of slavery became 80 years of peace through one person willing to live with a strong faith. And remember, 80 years doesn't mean 80 years. Remember what 40 years meant? 40 years didn't mean, didn't mean 40 years. It was a metaphor in the Old Testament. 40 years means this. Me, my kids, and my grandkids. That's what 40 years means. When, when the people had peace for 40 years, it was saying a generation followed God. Me, my kids, and my grandkids. So 80 years would be saying this. Me, my kids, and my grandkids, 
and their kids and their grandkids all followed God because of the example I said. Hey, who doesn't? Which of us in the room who's following Jesus doesn't want that to be our story? 80 years, me, my kids, my grandkids, and then my grandkids' kids and their grandkids, they all follow Jesus because of the way I followed Jesus. That's the story of Ehud, and that is the opportunity of our life. But for us, it begins with a connection to Jesus, not Ehud. You see, Jesus is the better Ehud. Ehud died and stayed dead. Ehud's people had peace for 80 years, not for an eternity. Jesus died but came back to life. And Jesus offered a peace that's eternal, not just six generations. So how is Jesus the better Ehud? Well, Jesus, the story of Ehud foreshadows Jesus in three ways. One, we see Ehud went into a hopeless situation to deliver the nation of Israel in an unexpected way. And Jesus came to earth to deliver hopeless humanity in an unexpected way. Eglon never saw Israel coming because he was expecting a conquering army, not a messenger, not a message deliverer who would go on behalf of the entire people. And Israel never saw Jesus coming because Israel was expecting a conquering army of Rome, not a message deliverer who would go on behalf of an entire people. Jesus is the better Ehud. We see that Ehud used a double-edged sword to defeat the enemy. But Jesus has said that we will use a double-edged sword, the word of God, to defeat the enemy, the temptation of sin in our life. So Ehud is a picture of Jesus for us and that when we fight an enemy who binds us in slavery, that if we will learn how to use the double-edged sword of God in our life and in the lives of others, that we can experience freedom. And Ehud blew a trumpet to conquer Israel's enemy. It was the signal that freedom had come, but Jesus was different. Jesus signaled victory and freedom. By raising from, de- from the dead to conquer death forever. Ehud would conquer Moab for 80 years. Jesus would conquer death forever. So have you chose him, chosen him as your rescuer? Is your life attached to Jesus? Dads, I don't want to ask you, dads, are you leading? You are leading. I want to ask you, dads, where are you leading? I want to ask you, how are you leading? For 93% of the families in here, your kids are becoming like dad if dad is in the home. So dads, are you becoming like Jesus? Maybe you're in here and you felt impeded by some disadvantage in your life that you said God could use everyone else but not me because of this. And God actually said that thing is the only thing that can get you into that room with people like you so you can give that message for me. Or maybe you're in here and you have forgotten the God of your past. There's a place, there's a physical place on planet earth where you could go and say, here is where God supernaturally spoke to me. You have a Gilgal and you have some stones, but you do not live every day and towards the future as if that God is still alive and still moving. And maybe God is calling your faith back. An ounce of faith can unleash an ocean of impact and results in your life and in the results of others but you got to step into what Jesus is calling you to do. Would you bow your heads as we consider that?